Welcome back to another episode of Useless Degrees. I'm your host, Anthony Rastigue, and now that we're friends, you may call me Tony. Today, our guest is Atish Doshi. Atish earned a degree from the University of Illinois and ultimately went on to become the founder and president of The Black Sheep, a college media company that helps advertisers reach the Gen Z market across 200 plus universities. Today, we're going to talk about how Atish started Black Sheep and discuss the unique demographic that is Generation Z. Now let's get started. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Atish. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. So once you graduated U of I, what was your initial career plan once you entered the workforce? Yeah, you know, I actually started my first company my senior year of college at U of I. Um, you know, it was kind of a predecessor to the Black Sheep. Um, we had a newspaper there called the Booze News, which was more party centric, but um, kind of in line with what we started with at the Black Sheep. And I was interviewing for full-time jobs at the same time. And, you know, I got a job at Lincoln Financial Group out in Philadelphia. And I was like, well, let's just take this job because I don't know really what else is going to happen with, you know, this newspaper we started like a month ago. And it was seemed like a cool job. It was in marketing for a financial firm and you'd rotate every year. And, you know, I assumed I would be able to learn different things and kind of go from there. I think within four months, I was like, this is just not for me. Like, I just did not like corporate everything. And, you know, the job wasn't super fulfilling and I tried to quit, but you had to pay back the signing bonus. So I couldn't quit. So I actually had to like unquit, which was fun um, and then keep the job. And then after like six months or so, I was able to like finally quit. And I moved back to Champaign, uh, back to U of I. My buddy that I started first company with, um, you know, was still getting it going. So we worked on that together for about five years and scaled that company out to, you know, 10, 12 schools, um, you know, doing primarily print media and some other digital stuff. Um, but then at that point, we kind of went our own way. And that's where I decided to like kind of go forward with starting the Black Sheep, um, taking a little bit of a different spin on what we're doing on the content side. And then, you know, introducing more of a agency play with campus marketing, uh, with more on the ground marketing and things like that, too. Yeah, and that's such a unique concept, too. I know you said it started off as the booze news. So tell me how you came up with that idea in the first place, you and your friend. Yeah, you know, we wanted to start something. We both had a light senior year and we both liked really good content and thought that at our school at University of Illinois, the school paper was kind of lacking with things that were funny and relatable to college students and, you know, written more from like a observational humor standpoint. And initially we wanted to start a magazine. We had no money, so that didn't work because it was expensive. We found a book that was like how to start a newspaper and decided let's just start a newspaper. Um, and the initial play was like, I'll write the content. We'll sell ads in between classes. Um, and, you know, he figured out how to do the printing, shipping, logistics, all those pieces. And we just talked to our friends of like, what did you, what would you want to read? Like, what would it be about? And just created content that we actually cared about. You know, it was bad writing. I'm not a great writer and I taken one journalism class, but it was entertaining and fun. And our biggest thing was, you know, let's do something weekly that can promote what's happening at the bars, can help these other local businesses advertise and save money versus having to advertise every day in the school paper. You know, if we can save them money, create content that resonates, that creates this touch point with students that are going to learn about those businesses while being entertained in their everyday life because it's content that's about their life. Um, let's just try that. So we did that. You know, we started with like a eight page thing that had God, 50 typos per page. It was awful, um, but it was funny and it was different. And that kind of grew and students like started emailing us about wanting to write for us and 
we just kind of grew it that way organically. And it was just a fun project that took off. I can definitely agree that campus culture is all the more eye-catching too. So who came up with the Black Sheep, the name? Where did that come from? Yeah, so it's funny is our first school that I tried to expand with when I decided to start it as the Black Sheep, we were trying to brainstorm names and we'd show them copies of local businesses. Um, this is at Michigan State. Western Michigan was the third school. Michigan State was the second school. And everyone liked the content, but they were scared of the name Booze News because it just seemed too party centric. So we were trying to think of a funny name. And what I realized is a lot of the content that we were covering at the time, um, it was stuff that everyone talked about, but no one wrote about. And it was stuff that like most local media companies wouldn't cover. So we thought of it as like, it's kind of like the black sheep of this college marketing, college media of like content that was out there at the time. Um, I just thought it was a fun name. So we went forward with that. And Businesses like loved it. And I think it was just like an easy, fun brand to kind of build off of. And that's a great way to look at it, too. And I'm curious, since it was a a black sheep of all the media out there, did you ever receive any sort of bad PR for any of the universities and had to deal with any of those? We've, yeah, there's always some stuff. I mean, I think at your school, the what, the school paper like mo- like did like mock issues of us for April Fool's Day a couple of times. Then they called it like the white goat or something, like something ridiculous like that. <laughs> so there's stuff like that. And then some stuff we wrote was satirical, right? And you have some people who are going to take it much more seriously than it's meant to be. So you're always going to get some pushback on, on some of that content. You're going to have, you know, people who think you're, crossing a line with some of the jokes. And in the end, everything we were writing was, you know, made from a a comedic sense, right? And it was meant to be funny. And sometimes it miss, and that's great. You just got to own up to those misses and that's not a big deal. Um, But you can't really make people laugh if you don't take a shot at it. So we were always open to pushing the limits on what we were producing um, when it came to different types of content. You're right. It's definitely difficult for everybody to hop on board when it comes to satire too. And fun fact, I actually used to write for Black Sheep too. And there was one article that I did for a bar that's that opened up it was a brand new one at the time and right now as of literally right now like students are actually protesting to get that bar shut down too and i remember way back when one of the bartenders at one of the competitors across the street would blow up my phone and say hey you were literally stealing all my customers by throwing out this content and directing all these people to this bar and for some reason i could kind of i could feed off of that energy honestly because people were actually engaging with the content too it was just so fascinating to see like how people couldn't grasp the meaning of satire or they were just so thrown off and just misled in a completely different direction. Yeah, it's definitely a delicate balance, right? Like you want to make sure it can be well received, but at the same time, you want to be able to like push the limits a little bit to make sure it can like be funny and resonate with people. Absolutely. And so you said it started off as a newspaper too, and then ultimately transitioned to a more digital focus. So I'm curious at the start, was it a struggle to keep up with the industry given how quickly it moves? No, you know, I think that was one thing we did really well was thinking about where engagement was happening. And, you know, we had the print side of things. Um, We scaled to digital, we scaled to local social, we eventually scaled to video and then scaled to campus marketing. Um, But it was really about making sure that we could be a one-stop shop for our clients and not only where they could advertise, but then where that content could could be consumed. And we spent a lot of time, you know, serving students and really understanding like what what they're using for which purposes, you know, how often are they going to pick up a paper and read it? How often are they going to click to go to a website? How often are they going to consume something on social? Are they going to click on the link in social versus just consuming it on the feed? You know, just really learning some of those pieces. And it's tough because like you want to make the right decisions. And I think for the most part, we were fine, but there's definitely times where we either moved too fast and didn't know what we were doing or moved too slow and could have missed out on something. But it's really about making sure we're examining things and like looking at what's happening in the space and not getting 
too stagnant with like what platforms we focus on or, you know, what type of services we offer. Yeah, definitely fuels on the fast paced environment. And so since you were a marketing major at U of I, looking back, do you think professors these days are effectively creating the next wave of marketers? Or do you think the rise of social media platforms such as TikTok have been more helpful with educating future marketers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a good combination. You know, I think professors and universities are buying into not only different ways of marketing through through social media, through, you know, content creation, um, you know, through like creator economy stuff, right? Like, I mean, there's a huge boom on it and everything from video game development to, you know, influencer marketing, right? Um, but you also have all these other resources out there now where students can learn more um, on online, right? Like you can learn uh, from content that's created on different social media platforms that are going to educate you. Um, and you can also tap into other resources um, when it comes to taking classes online and things like that, that like might not be offered at your school. So I think it's been it's been cool to see. And I'm glad that schools are buying into that. I mean, some schools are now even promoting themselves on TikTok and on Instagram to promote like COVID safety or enrollment or, you know, new new features that they're rolling out just because they know that's how they're going to reach the audience that they need. So I think um, I think it's going in the right direction. But I do think for a while it was it was tough. Like I think students understood where things are shifting because it's a part of their lives. And it's just getting the buy in that that's what should be taught because that's where things are going to go. And do you think that the classes that you took or the professors helped shape you into the marketer that you are today? Or do you think it was more so being observant with the campus culture at the time? You know, I mean, everyone's different. I think I'm much more of like a campus culture person and, you know, taking in my surroundings and learning from either other companies or businesses and some of those experiences. There's definitely some professors that I think did a great job. And, you know, like I took, like I said, I took one journalism class when we started the first paper and that professor was great. Like he would give me feedback on the newspaper and like all this different stuff that I had no idea about. But I think overall, you know, I learned better just from going through it and experiencing it. And then also just trying to see what others are doing and relating that back to what I'm trying to do. Um, so it was different for me, but I think some people also learn the opposite way, you know, like, and that's great as well. So it's really by finding what works best for you and, and like sticking to that. And especially when it comes to writing too, you're only going to gain a lot more experience and get a lot better if you continue to write and simply don't stop doing it too. So it's all about right, the repetition, exactly. keeping up with it. And so I'm assuming that your work in the past has been compared to, let's say, Barstool Sports. Was there any sort of backlash for having a little too too similar of an agenda or was it more, were they more of an inspiration for you? Yeah, I mean, I'd say definitely more of an inspiration. You know, I think ironically, we both started around the same time. We both started, I think, as newspapers um, and then both went in totally different directions, right? Like, I think they've done an amazing job um, crossing over media platforms, you know, owning like the podcast space, owning, you know, like video feeds, like going into... Um, more of like the sports side of things, um, you know, with the gambling pieces, like that's been awesome to see. And we skewed a different way. Like we went more into an agency model and more into, you know, creating campus events and campus marketing mixed with content creation and pieces like that, which is good on our own too, on our end too. So, you know, I think it's been awesome to see what they've done and where they started and how they've grown. And, you know, I look at that more as an inspiration. And I think there's a lot of cool takeaways from, you know, lessons they've learned and lessons we've learned over the years as well. And speaking of podcasts, do you think that the black sheep will ever enter the podcast space? You know, we tried a while ago and it was like a bad idea. It was a good idea. We just didn't market it well. So maybe we'll circle back to it. We had one called Booze Before Noon and it was pretty funny. Um, it was just like more conversation and dialogue. And then the best piece that they did in there it was uh, two guys at work, Brendan and Mike. Uh, they would do hot takes, but they would eat spicy food as they did hot takes. 
So the conversation got more and more aggressive because of the heat of what they were eating. Um, but it was also around topics that people had hot takes on. So it was pretty funny. Um, so I think we'd like to probably explore it again, um, just because I do think it's a great way of reaching our audience and keeping it light and also building culture around and insights into like what we, who we are as people and not just like what we do as a company. Especially with the audio medium becoming bigger and bigger as we speak, yeah. you know, everyone's always listening to podcasts. It's crazy. And so out of all the mediums that Black Sheep runs on, which platform is your personal favorite? Yeah, you know, for me, you know, we do a lot of stuff on the social side. We do a lot of stuff on the digital side. Um, you know, I hold true to like what we do on the ground, like on college campuses uh, with campus events and, you know, more, you know, smaller scale experiential events, things like that. And I think what's why it's important is it helps build that authentic relationship for our clients to the target audience. You know, our teams are representing these brands, representing these clients and, you know, helping either, you know, showcase a new product or a new service or an app that they could, the students can use that's going to be great. Um, and that experience is then amplified through the social side, through the digital side, um, but all those touch points are so important. And I think when you can get 30 seconds with somebody or 10 seconds with somebody to give them something, tell them about something like that is memorable. Um, so I always find that piece to be one of my favorites just because it creates this like one-to-one -one relationship with, with the target audience. Were there any articles in, in particular that you've always, you know, favored from the past that have really generated a lot of engagement or created a really interesting story behind? Uh, so, I mean, we have a lot of ridiculous ones, but I think one of my favorite series that we did was, a, so at Illinois, we had a coach, Ron Zook, in, I don't know when this was, 10 years ago, who was like a very animated coach and just like kind of ridiculous. And we used to do these cover articles that were like Ron Zook's diaries. And if you read them, it really sounded like it was like the Zucker talking through all this stuff. And later on, I found out that he would like football players would put these on the locker, on their lockers in the locker room. And he would see them and get like pissed off about it and like tear it down. So one, it was cool that it got to the sports teams. Two, it was great that he knew about it. And three, it was awesome that like he got mad because it probably was true, like everything we were saying and like how he is as like. A comical person. So I think those are my favorite because we did a whole series of them. I think we did the whole football season. We would do that and we did that for a couple of years. Um, so I think stuff like that was always funny to me because it was like satirical, but like playing off of something that was happening that everyone could like kind of really um, relate to. And then the fact that it got to the actual person, I thought was like pretty funny. And so switching gears now. So you're a big advocate of leading by example. So mm -hmm. how could one go about doing that in the most efficient way possible? Yeah, I think like one thing I've learned as we've grown this company is a lot of it just comes down to trust. And to me, it's like learning to trust, learning to delegate, learning to let people learn and grow on their own. And like what they do may not be the way you want to do it, but it's going to be a great way. And like trusting that, you know, the solution that they come back with or um, the end product that they have is going to be amazing um, and letting people run with it. You know, and I think that's one of the, the hardest things to do is like to let go of stuff and like all that. But it's about finding the right people to join your team that you can trust to you know, really, um, you know, take on different parts of the business. And um, that helps people feel like they have ownership over what they're doing and autonomy over what they're working on. And I think that's been one of the biggest things that, you know, I've tried to do over the years and gotten better and better at, but it's like definitely the toughest. Gotcha, gotcha. And so as you get older, do you feel that your understanding of the Gen Z landscape has faded? Or have you been doing a good job of keeping up with all these trends? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, right, like everything changes all the time. I think we do a good job keeping up with trends and, you know, understanding students. We do a lot of campus surveys, a lot of focus groups, things like that. Um, but for us, it's also hiring, hiring people that understand the space really well. You know, we have a lot of students we hire right out of college and like they know what it 
takes to resonate with their friends or the people that they're still friends with in college and have a better perception and better strategy of how to do that. And then it's trusting in that process and using that feedback um, to really form our strategy when it comes to what we want to do, what our clients want to do, and using all that information to the best of our ability. And so it's interesting because the corporate office in Chicago seems like it's got that young, energetic atmosphere to it. So tell me a little bit about what you would like the office to really speak for itself. Yeah, I mean, I think what we strive for is collaboration. You know, we try putting in, putting people together that work well together based on their traits. We actually use this platform that helps you identify certain characteristics about people, whether they're more of an introvert or more of an extrovert, whether they, you know, need to be in a quiet space to work because interruption messes with them, or they work better bouncing ideas off of people, Um, you know, things like that. So for us, it's putting people in a place to succeed in an office environment where they're going to have the, the space that they need and it's structured in the way that works best for who they are. And, you know, I think as a business, it's about figuring out how to do that the right way. Um, and then also driving that collaboration and that trust. Because I think when you go through COVID and everyone's working remotely, um, you realize how important communication is because you can't just pop into a room and ask somebody a question. Um, so for us, it's like building trust, building communication. And then, you know, as we get back to the office, making sure that that all then carries forward in like an in-person environment as well. And so speaking of COVID over the past year, how have you been able to maintain that great sense of leadership that you currently have? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, making sure they have a strategy around communication and meetings and giving autonomy to people to do their jobs. Because, you know, the, the easy thing is like everyone becomes micromanaging around everything, right? Because you don't know what people are working on. And I think it's getting over that fact and, and trusting that everyone knows what they need to prioritize, you know, having good communication on um, different changes or different requests that you have, um, but then being accessible whenever you need to. You know, I think we do video calls for everything because you can at least read what's happening for the other person and, you know, have a better take on the situation or the feedback that you're trying to get or give. Um, so that really helps that. And then also just doing team events, even in a remote setting to help just build some of that camaraderie that is more natural when you're in person. Um, you know, one of our big events we always do is like a secret Santa type of thing in the winter, but we started doing that like over summer and like during other periods of time where it becomes like this fun time where we all actually get together for a couple hours. And, you know, yes, it's mainly remote, but you're able to at least see each other and engage with each other versus just your department which is like, you know, typically what happens when you're only doing video calls for like the meetings and the people you work with. Have you been adjusting to the remote work or do you miss the office and just you're so eager to get back? Yeah, I suck at remote work. Like I, I'm not good at it. I work better, like having the commute to like transition from like home and work and then, you know, being able to walk around in like an office and, you know, I'm more of like the talk things out type of person. Um, So I'm more productive when I come to the office. So I'd say the first six months were definitely tough. And then I've started coming in a lot more often, which is more helpful um, to do that. But at the same time, it's like when you go through Chicago winters and you're like, well, I'm not going to you know, waste an hour in five degree weather to get there. It's also nice having the option of just working from home and getting things knocked out. Fully agreed. And so let's actually get onto the topic of Generation Z because they are such a fascinating market. And they're also a very difficult market to reach due to their attention span only lasting a couple of seconds on average. So from your perspective, what seems to be working when retaining their attention? Yeah, you know, from what we've seen, it's really about those touch points and really amplifying the number of touch points you have with this audience. Um, So that's where, you know, doing, having marketing pieces across different platforms is so key because you want to have the student, you know, the, the student of every target is remember who you are. So whether they're seeing something on TikTok, seeing something else in their Insta feed, seeing something on campus, 
um, you know, hearing something in the podcast, like all of those elements are so critical because it helps drive that memory of this brand and start peaking interest. So that way it's much easier to, um, you know, capture that audience and like develop that loyalty for students that, you know, check out who you are. And I think like, you know, I think the, the stat is like six seconds or eight seconds is like the amount of attention you're going to get. But if you can do six seconds or eight seconds across 20 touch points, you're in a much better spot um, to be able to engage with that audience and like capture them as like a potential um, potential user of your brand. And so as for those touch points that you mentioned, is there a lot of added pressure for just the demand for constant content to be circulated throughout the media? I think it's added pressure for the content, but also just making sure it's engaging, right? Like I think it's easy to push out bullshit and like people are going to see that and skip over it. It's about creating content that's authentic and real that someone actually wants to like check out and engage with. And that's the only thing that's going to matter, right? Like anyone can buy eyeballs, right? Like that's the world we live in right now. Um, But you can't buy the engagement. Like it has to be something that you care about that you're going to want to watch. You're going to want to share. You're going to want to comment on. Um, and ultimately, that's the only thing that's going to drive success when it comes to content creation. So then other than that, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced with your time at Black Sheep? Yeah, I mean, growth is like the toughest thing ever, right? Like when it's four people working out of the basement of your apartment, it's like much easier to figure out what needs to happen because you can all do 15 different things. Um, but as you grow and you try finding the right people for the right structure for, you know, the same goals like that, that's tough. And it's easy to hire the wrong person, you know, like having a better having a good hiring strategy around who you need to bring on and why, like things like that are, th- those are things you don't learn about, right? Like that's something that you just experience and you have to figure out. Um, so I think the growth side is tough. Um, you know, identifying different opportunities and what's a good one to go into and what's not, you know, like that's that's always a challenge. Like we've taken shots at things that we thought made sense and it was an epic failure. And like, I don't regret taking the shot because you learn and you learn what not to do. Um, but you have to be able to balance that with everything else that you know you need to keep doing. Um, so I think like, it's, it's trying to figure out some of those strategy pieces and making sure you're making the right moves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what do you look to when you are looking for ways to be creative? Yeah. I mean, I think it's finding the right group of people you can bounce ideas off of and having people who question everything you want to do because it helps you see the other side. And I think like I will come up with a hundred ideas and then there's people that, you know, work um, at a company that are, are you know, been here for a while that will shoot down 98 of them and like rightfully shoot down 98 of them. But that helps us identify the two good ideas that we can dive deep in to figure out how to make it work. And I think it's like finding that network and, you know, the, the group of people that you trust and whose feedback you trust to, to really help define what you need to work on. Um, but don't stop being creative and don't stop being like innovative. Um, but it's about figuring out like what's realistic to, to actually pull off. And so I'm also noticing when it comes to Gen Z, I'm noticing that a lot of the people in the Gen Z crowd will gravitate toward roles that involve a a stronger social media promotion type of presence. Mm -hmm. And so do you see that field having the ability to be like this lifelong career that they can make for themselves? I think it can be. Um, You know, you're seeing that scale out right now, right? But I think at some point you'll hit a cap of saturation where like if if everyone's a content creator, nobody's a content creator. So it, you have to be, really balance that. I think what we'll see is a shift on platform. Like you're gonna you're, you're gonna end up seeing the scale to other spaces, whether it's within like esports, whether it's with within other like streaming platforms, whether it's on other social media platforms. Um, I also think you're gonna see a bridge between like real life and social media. You know, whether that's like a combination of how things will interact together, whether it's like playing one off of each other. Um, I think there'll be things that, that play off that way. So I, th- 
it's I think it has the potential to scale out for a long time, but it's it's going to iterate like every service does and every platform does. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, watching what happens and, you know, being able to capitalize on that and, you know, be able to be successful within that space. And so speaking of these content creators, when you're hiring, what do you personally look for in a content creator? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's about engagement levels, um, you know, making sure that the followers they have actually care about the content they're putting out. And, you know, we focus more on like the micro influencer, nano influencer um, level of content creators who have good followings on a campus level. And for us, that's the most important thing because our whole play is that we want to help our clients scale nationally, but have a local feel, you know, to be able to really saturate college campuses, but do that across the board. And for us, it's making sure that we hire students who, um, you know, are themselves on social media and have followers who care about that and, you know, are aligning them with brands that resonate with that audience and come across as authentic because it's true to who they are. And so what is some advice for college students or recent graduates that you wish you would have known back then? I think it's really looking at resources. I think I didn't think about the amount of resources that were out there to help you really learn and develop and just get feedback. And I think if you're you know, if you reach out through, reach out through your school, through alumni networks, through friends, through, you know, companies that you have friends who work at, there's always people who want to, who are down to give you advice and really take advantage of that because you don't know what you don't know. And being able to get advice from people who've been there and done that can help streamline what you're trying to do. You know, like when we first started the first company, I mean, we didn't know how to do anything and we would just email random people to try getting advice. And we got one person who replied back to us who was super, super helpful. But, you know, I think knowing that now there's so many resources out there and so many startup hubs and tech hubs and, you know, other places where you can go to, to just bounce ideas off each other, like take advantage of all all that, because you might find like-minded people who also want to do something fun and different that you want to do. And you should try building those relationships because that helps scale out and, you know, makes it more efficient on what you're trying to pull off. That's some amazing advice. I, I love hearing it. And so my final bonus question to you is a question that I ask every single one of my guests, but what do you think is the most useless college degree? The most useless college degree. Oh man. Um, I'm going art history. I don't know why. I think like art history is probably cool, but I don't know anyone who's ever done anything with an art history degree. Uh, I have uh, a sister-in-law with an art history degree and she is a teacher Uh, but like a daycare teacher. So she's not using art history for that. Um, And I've got other friends who went through that path and definitely don't do anything in that space. So I'm sure it's exciting to learn while in college, but I don't know what you do with it afterwards. What's that, what answers do people give on that that like doesn't lead to hatred? It's funny if you say that because a lot of people actually say the major that they majored in. Oh, wow, that would have been easy enough to go. It's an easy route, but it also offers them to really kind of reflect on themselves. They're like, wow, really? I I ended up in a completely different career path and I didn't use anything that I learned in college. So it's it's funny seeing that. But I've also seen a lot of people say dance, communication, Uh and sometimes they'll they'll give a more like uh, existential kind of answer. They'll say something like, well, a useless degree is something that someone tells you to major in. Because that's not like what your mind is dead set on right. from, your, from a gut feeling. So it's it's an interesting question with interesting responses. Yeah. I think when I went to U of I, you got into the business school and then you could just pick which one you wanted to major in. And I was like, mm, marketing sounds good because it's like applicable to anything in life, basically. And like, I don't regret it because of that, but I probably don't do a lot of the stuff I took classes for, like the way that, you know, I was taught it or, you know, was, you know, was working at it in college. I think I just used like the 
the the social side of it or the people side of it, the research side of it to really learn what I wanted to do and then kind of took it from there. And a lot of people are really gravitated, as I mentioned earlier, toward a lot of the social media type of stuff because that's mm-hmm. just work that they enjoy doing. And, you know, they always say, right. you know, if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So that's <laughs> something that they love to hop on to. I know I certainly did, especially working in advertising. Yeah. So, well, thanks again so much for being on the show today, Atish. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, for me, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search Atish Doshi. I don't think there's too many of them. Um, I'm always happy to like connect and chat. And then for the company, uh, check out the blacksheep.marketing and you can kind of see everything that we do there. Um, but yeah, if anyone ever wants to talk about literally anything from your favorite pizza to marketing strategies, I will always be down to chat. Real quick, what's your favorite pizza? Oh, well, as from Detroit, Buddy's Pizza is my favorite pizza because it's like the true Detroit style. And uh, it's the one spot I go to every time I come home to visit my parents. What are your thoughts on uh, Chicago style now that you live there? Uh, I mean, it's good, but it's like, you can't eat that much of it. It's just so deep and like heavy. So it's, I like, I like lose because like the Chicago classic is a good one. Um, but I think otherwise it's tough. Like I always do. I always like Detroit style more. I like that Detroit style is taking over the world. It's great to see it expand. Jets is just fine. We'll eat it anytime I need to. Uh, but buddies is always where it's at. Detroit style is definitely, definitely where it's at. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for so much for being on the show. Atish, best of luck to you in the future. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. My guest today was Atish Doshi. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and subscribe and share with your friends and family. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at useless.degrees and go like our Facebook page, Useless Degrees Podcast. Thanks again so much for listening. And I look forward to entertaining you all in the next episode.